This week's interview was an absolute treat for me as I got to sit down and talk bass with one of my heroes, the incredible virtuoso Yannick Guizdala. Yannick has toured and recorded with modern jazz legends such as Mike Stern, Randy Brecker and Pat Metheny and released multiple albums as a solo artist. He's also a high profile educator and author with a huge online presence both through YouTube and his website. As a player, Yannick is simply incredible both as a traditional groove player and as an improvising soloist. From a soloist standpoint, Yannick has developed a beautifully lyrical style of playing and in this interview I delve into how he was able to nurture such a highly developed vocabulary on the instrument. We also talk in depth about practice in general, the value of transcription and the impact of social media on modern music. So without further ado, let's join Yannick as I sit down with him for some great bass chat. Yannick Guzdala, here we are. What's happening? Here we well, here we aren't. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Six thousand miles separating each other, and uh, it's like we're in the same room. Yeah. How uh, how's things? Things are. Things have made a big turning point. It's an interesting time to be doing this interview. Mm. Um, yesterday and today, I started uploading uh, one song from each night of a tour we did a year ago. Uh, that we, we started on the 28th of February in 2020 and we really we didn't realize it was going to be the last time we got to play live music to an audience uh, for, for over a year a year and, and that's with Bob now. with Bob yeah. Reynolds exactly Bob Reynolds Rosalind Sirota and Gene Coy and um, you know we we went through it just the same as everyone else did that was on tour at the time I know Tim Lafave was like a day behind us on in Europe with another band and we were all going through it and then we all got kind of screwed at the same time and had to come back to the States and cancel our tour. But it's been interesting. I'm kind of a, a bit of a hermit, to be honest. You know, I don't mind being home. I'm not like the road guy. You know, I, I did that for a really long time playing two, three hundred shows a year. And I've been kind of super happy not being the road guy. But listening back to this material that I'm posting on YouTube now, it really like kicks maybe it was a one year thing or it just really reminded me like oh I'm, i might not be like the road guy but i really miss this mm. and when you work on me like i'm sitting here literally with manuscript transcription in front of me that i was working on late last night when you're doing all this work still and have no outlet it's it's now reached that like psychological point where it's kind of crushingly a little bit depressing i don't want to start out an interview with like <laughs> depressing sentiment but you know to answer your question honestly it's a it's a it's a bit of a moment right now and um maybe not coming back for another year from now is is a is quite a daunting prospect mm. at the same time so yeah yeah it's not good i i look around i mean i've been quite lucky with doing what i'm doing because i can i can still keep working with that and doing stuff right. but like my sure. wife she's a singer obviously all her work's gone there's i mean yeah. i live on the isle of wight now and it's it's very much a touristy okay. kind of place with lots of you know there's a lot of gigs there for you know the people around here but it, everywhere's shut yep. down i mean i know everywhere's shut down but especially the touristy right. kind of things i mean everywhere's boarded up i mean it's it, it's like a ghost town you know from that angle right and you know every musician that i know is all you know they've all got other jobs now they're all i know one's an ice cream man <laughs> they're all doing all kinds <laughs> of things and it's it's just yeah. one of those things and you know, who knows how long this is going to go on. I mean, hopefully now that vaccines are there and stuff, I mean, hopefully it's all going to right. start there's, up. There's definitely hope. There's definitely hope. And I think we have some parallels there, you and I, working with our like online businesses. We've been very fortunate to be in this space. Mm. 
and to be able to continue to work. And my wife's a bass player, for instance, and her, you know, her entire life was based around the gigging economy, yeah. which just disappeared overnight. So yeah, I think we're, yeah. And even like you said, things boarded up and like Los Angeles is kind of turning into a little bit of a ghost mm -hmm. town, a, a big ghost yeah. town, maybe not as, as small as the Isle of Wight, but a lot of parallels there in terms of stores being boarded up. Um, although I did recently hear uh, 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 get word that there's a new jazz club opening up in right. LA, um, which is amazing to hear in the middle of a pandemic. Like who's <laughs> who's betting on yeah. that right now? But God bless them. I mean, that we we need it. Enough places have closed. So yeah, definitely some hope, some light at the end of the tunnel. I think. Um, but so, I think psychologically tough on so many people. Um, you know, I'm always curious to hear what it's like in other countries, you know, people who do like similar thing mm. and or whether you're a working musician or whether you have an online business or not. I'm very curious to see how that manifests and, and how it plays out. You yeah, know? yeah. Well, I want to get back to the start with you because you're one mm. of those guys that... You know, I, I'm in fanboy mode, by the way, right now, because, uh -oh. like, I've been a... I, honestly, I've followed you forever. And, oh, like... You you wear a lot of different hats, as you just you know you were just mentioning. I mean, you've got you a bass player, you know. You've got and there's there's that. Sure. You're kind of like a super sideman kind of guy. You've got you're a composer. I mean, a, it's I mean to anybody that knows that that's listened to you a lot. I mean, everybody knows that that that's a big part of your part of your thing. But as well as that, you've got the online persona, which again is a, a separate skill set, really, sure. and an author because sure. you've got a ton of books out, you know, of which I've got <laughs> of yeah. which I've got a load, you know. Oh come on, that's and awesome. <laughs> so you've got all of these things. So I want to get into all of those little bits, but sure. Uh, so you started out, I mean, going back, I think Lawrence Cottle was a big part of your development at the oh, start, yeah. wasn't it? But how did you originally get into playing bass? Because you were, I mean, was it, was it um, a thing that you thought, oh, I'm going to play bass? Or was there any moment where you, you know? There was one very specific moment and it was all centered around Lawrence. You know, it was uh, Sunday lunchtime. I was playing drums like I wanted to be a drummer. That was my thing. I was young, you know, 14, 15 years old, and I loved the drums. And my buddy said to me, like, oh, let's go to this gig in Croydon in South London, of all random places, yeah. um, at the Gun Tavern. And uh, they had a, like, Sunday, typical Sunday jazz, Sunday lunchtime jazz gig, English pub vibe. And I was like, you know, he said, you got to hear this bass player. I was like, what the, what the hell do I care about a bass player? You know, I play the drums, man. <laughs> He's like, well, the drummer's pretty good, too. And of course, it was one of Lawrence's best friends, Ian Thomas. And uh, so he dragged me along and that was it. That was Sunday lunchtime. And Monday, I went out and got a bass. Right. And that's li literally it from then until this moment. I haven't taken my foot off the off the gas. So like before. a ching moment instantly instantly i still somewhere have the like he he early days of bootlegging like he had a little dictaphone and he rec my friend recorded the show and i still have the cassette tape of that wow. show like the first show i ever heard that was like oh i'm gonna do this for the rest of my life wow so yeah it was very it was instant completely just took took me over right away and then lawrence was you know kind enough to you know he lived i lived in mitchum he lived in streatham like five, four minutes from each other and he took me to every gig and session and just the hang i was in that hang solidly for two and a half years or almost three years yeah probably around three years 
and learn everything. I took my, I got a dictaphone, a little cassette player, recorded everything. I have dozens and dozens of cassette tapes. And you know, pubs used to close at 11. I don't even know what it is now, but like typically you would go, he would take me to a gig and by 11.30 I'd be home. And I'd, you know, 11.30 I'd put the headphones in and press play from what I just heard and start transcribing until, you know, two, three o'clock in the morning. So it would be like very fresh in my mind. Hit, hit, see it live, record it, listen to it, transcribe it, learn it. And just did that for two and a half How years. How old were you at that point? Uh, I must have been 15, 16, something like that. Because I remember when I got my driving license and Lauren, the, the, the day I got it, Lawrence was like big smile. He's like, ah, it's payback time, motherfucker, <laughs> like this. <you> know? <laughs> so I would drive him to gigs. You know, he really did for like a year and a half take me all over the place to see music that he, that he was a part of, you know, and great musicians, Jim Mullen and Nigel Hitchcock and Gerard Presenza, Mark Nightingale, Graham Harvey, uh, uh, Paul and Jeremy Stacy, like the best of the best English musicians. You know, a lot of the studio uh, players, of course, that he was involved with because the studio scene was still kind of happening in the mid 90s. It was kind of I saw the tail end of that before it really died, mm. uh, like jingles when jingles were a thing that a band yeah. actually got in a room and recorded for the TV and the radio and stuff. So, yeah, it was super important. Really sort of no other I, I couldn't imagine doing it any other way. And I got super lucky because that's obviously not something that's available to find someone of that stature who's willing to spend the time with you, you know, and at the same time, very, very importantly, he never gave me a lesson. Oh, really? Not a single, not a single piece ah. of musical information did he ever tell me. <laughs> I would ask him, oh, what's the what's this chord in the in one of his like he played a lot of his music. It was great to see him as a band leader as well as a sideman. That was very inspirational in the beginning as well. A very important part of my growth as a musician. I would ask him, he said, what's what is that chord? He said, well, just listen to it and figure it out. Because you know? I, th I, 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 I was would... under the impression that you were like this protege of like Lawrence Cotton, like he was giving you these lessons and like feeds you all this stuff. And so no, no, but he was giving me the best lesson possible mm. is like find your own uh, uh, your own process to to, to um, come up with solutions to problems. The problem is I can't hear F7 over E7 mm. when I'm 16 years old because I just don't know how that like Stravinsky kind of crunch yeah. sounds because I just have no experience. But he's like, well, we're going to go play like recorder me or a blues in F, like start listening simple. And then you'll get to that crunchy stuff. It will become such second nature, just as the way we're having this conversation. We, we, you and I, in the last 13 minutes, haven't thought about any of the words we've no. used to talk to each other, right? And I think a lot of people get hung up on the theoretical side of the process and, and learning the, the names. And you, you do, it's like a baby, right? You can't look at a baby and say, well, okay, not going to talk to you until you know all the names of all the all the like, verbs and adjectives you, you, you don't you, you just you just yeah. talk you just converse and i think that's something that he did whether he knew it or not i don't know like sometimes when i was young i used to think he was just being mean he's just like <laughs> oh i don't want this kid to learn too quick because he's gonna like steal my gigs yeah. or something but of course that wasn't it that was just me being pissed off that he wouldn't show me certain chords and uh, but yeah, he let me record everything and 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 really like, I would go hang out at his house, but we were both like juggling fans. So we would like do juggling shit together. Not we would maybe listen to some mm. music, but every time I asked him like, oh, can you show me this? He'd be like, forget it. It's awesome. <laughs> well, that must obviously is where you got the transcribing bug from. 
You know, because you're you're like sure, a yeah. transcribed monster. Well, I saw his. Uh, it was uh, it was a little more compact his one, but it was thick, and I only saw one of them. I'm sure there were many, and he kind of went like this once to me. He went and showed me a bunch of stuff, and I just went. <gasps> it was like the box of gold was opening. <gasps> And I said, yo, can I photocopy that? He's like, get the hell out of here like this, you know? But he said, but that was the first time I saw someone making their own notes, you know? And and he said, why, why would you want to have all of my stuff? First of all, it wouldn't make sense to you because it's my shorthand. And second of all, these were the things that I liked mm. that inspired me. Like, you need to find the things that inspire you to push you to do the work. Because if there isn't anything to push you to do the work, you probably aren't that serious yeah. about it, you know? Which is another g good uh, point to bring up in all of this. Like, I am on the psychotic end of focused in this thing. So as much as I'm a, like a proponent of it, I say, hey, this is really important. I say, also, be aware of where you are at, whoever I'm talking yeah, yeah. to or, or clinic or whatever, maybe giving you a lesson. I'm like, be really aware. Like, if you want to play like, covers of yes for instance like do that don't get hung up on like oh i should transcribe john coltrane yeah. and alan holdsworth and all these things like put it in context ask yourself questions and honest uh, uh, answer those questions honestly yeah. and then you'll just have the most fun you know i think that's the most important that's thing. so important isn't it because like people always say oh what do, what do i need to be doing what do i need to be doing and if you don't have a right. passion for it then you, you, yeah. it's a losing battle, really. Cause, I mean, yeah. it's like somebody saying, like a ja like a jazz uh, musician saying, "Oh, I need to learn this Cannibal Corpse stuff. I want to get into death metal. What do I do?" And then it's like, "What, what, what lines do I do from? You know, what scales right. do you use?" And it's like, listen to the stuff. Yeah. Like, do you listen to death metal? Uh, no. Right. Well, <sighs> yeah. And some of my best teachers, like. I had actually very few teachers, to be honest, and very few. Like, I think I actually took, I don't know if you know the bass player, Jeff Gascoigne, great bass player in the UK. I did have some lessons, like official lessons with him. And, but the best part of those lessons were him saying, well, here's a list of things I really loved. You might like them, you might not, but here's a starting point. Here's a reference point. It wasn't like you must transcribe this yeah. Wayne Shorter solo. It was just these are some cool things, you know? And it was really different as well. He would give me like Wayne Shorter and then Michelle and Degacello. Oh, right. Like it was, there was a real, real range there. He's like, look, there's all this mm. stuff out there, you know, you know, like explore, you know, like curiosity, like curious to the two, my two favorite words are curiosity and necessity. Mm. Like, are you curious enough about it that you love it more than anything else? So you'll just do the work no matter mm. what. And, and it, it, is it necessary in your life that, you'll never feel like you wasted your time. Yeah. You know, you feel like you are fulfilling that this, this, this thing, this burning desire. So I, I like to keep those two words in the forefront. I'm not a guy who has like, you know, like statements up on the wall yeah. or any of this kind of stuff. I don't know. Some people like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Affirmations. Thank you. Um, I should probably just put the word affirmations up there. So I remember the damn word <laughs> yeah. that might help me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I like to keep a couple of things like that at the forefront of my, of my mind. And for everything I forget, I write yeah. it down, you know? Yeah. You've inspired me with that, you know, because like I do a lot of transcription oh, and I, I kind of do a lot of transcription work as well, you know, like doing, you know, okay. freelance things. And um, sure. I, I do write things down, you know, when I'm doing it, but I really mm -hmm. love your idea of having, the, and Lawrence's idea of having a proper, you know, 
book full of them that you've made because they just get thrown away or yeah. I do, or I'll be putting them straight into Finale Sibelius or something and then they end up in a folder right. somewhere, you know, the, the yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. that I've written down. But I love that yeah, idea. This is so much easier to get oh, to, you know, like, I'd, I'd be, and, and like just pen like, and right paper here. as well. Literally just at arm's length on my piano here, I've got one, two, three, four, four I've got five of them. There are dozens oh. in here, but I've got that many that close. And I can literally open it up and find something from 15 years ago and be like, oh, I remember that. That was yeah. awesome. And there I am for a week, potentially, you know, re, you know. It's like it, keeping a diary, re, isn't it? Big time. Big time. And then go yeah. back. It's scary at times, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of scary. You look like, whoa, I was really into that. Oh, dear. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> yeah. Well, what, um, like. I mean, your improvisation, I always describe as being, uh, or I describe you as being like a great melodicist because um, as opposed to just being, you know, some people that solo or on bass, you know, not naming names, but sometimes it just becomes shred-tastic or just becomes kind of noodling or for the, for the sake of it. You're very, very purposeful. I, I know that it's instinctive. I know that it's not that you're thinking of it, but... Sure. Very, very purposeful with melody, that you're actually creating melodies um, no matter how kind of out there they become. And right. it's very vocal with the way, and I know that you scatter with it as well, and that possibly have a, has a, an effect. But um, like, so I, I'd not thought about this until today. I've been trying to put my finger on it as to what it is okay. that you, that, what it reminds me of. And do you know what? I figured it out. Tell me, because I, I want to know. <laughs> Some of the melodies that you play, that, that your melodic uh -huh. improvisation has got very much a bit of Sting's vocal phrasing about it. I know that there's a lot of other jazz soloists, you know, it could be sure. anything. But in that vocal, am I right in thinking that? Is that an influence so, on you? So, yeah, I mean, huge influence on me. Like Sting's music, his melodic sensibility... And there are two things you say there then. So Sting, 100%, I agree with you. I, I don't think I've thought about mm. it like that for a long time because I've just been in the middle of listening to his yeah. music my you know, basically my entire life. You know, from the 80s when the police were still around and I was just alive and my dad would have been playing me that stuff to, you know, right now to hit the ship or whatever his last, yeah. you know, cardigan and sweater wearing <laughs> album was. I, I don't know, with a loot or some shit. It's, it's still him at the end of the day. Like I can listen to Roxanne or the loot stuff and I still hear the identity. I'm sure you do, too. And then the, the other word you used was purposeful and purposeful. And I like the way you phrase it as well, not purposeful as in like thought mm. out or, or playing licks, but purposeful in the overall concept, the use of the word purposeful in a bigger, bigger sense, you know, like kind of zoomed out bigger picture sense. Um, and, and it is, it's my wife, uh, Chelsea, a great bass player. And we were at, um, she really highlighted it to me a couple of years ago. We were at um, Bass Player Magazine used to have this event called Bass Player Live at SIR, the, the rehearsal studios in LA, big weekend event, <clears throat> lots of clinics and uh, kind of like London bass guitar yeah. show kind of vibe, right? Um, and we were standing there listening to, at the back of the room in the big uh, performance room, listening to, you know, a, a, no names here, but listening to a bass player. And she said, wow, so that's what it is. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, bass players come to these events and whether you can call it like these events or a point where they solo, mm. where they go away from the role of the bass and they feel like 
they have to now become something they are very much not for the purpose of the event or for the purpose of the moment as a soloist. And most bass players, just the the basic nature of the instrument, have not spent an equal amount of time working on both of those things. They've spent 98% of their time, as they should, listening to Jameson and Pino Palladino and Duck Dunn and John Entwistle and and, 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 Giza Butler and all the rest. And then suddenly you want to be Charlie Parker for, you know, five choruses. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. So that when you say that, like, oh, it does become like shreddy because it's, it's simply, I think, about time and about intent in the process. And most people's process, I switched from classical guitar to bass because there were more gigs for bass players. Mm. Yes, Lawrence inspired me. But as soon as I figured it out, I was like, oh, classical guitar, there's 60 years of pain and not working. And <laughs> bass, wow, there's a lot of gigs yeah. for bass players. And so I was like, this is a no-brainer. I'm, I'm going with bass. I love it. And off we go. And most bass players work. You know what I mean? Most bass players are not soloists. Most bass players work. Most bass players work on a ton of different music, occupying a certain uh, a portion of the mix, certain range of the mix in the low end, below the fifth fret. You know, I'm not, I'm not reinventing the wheel here. This is just how it is you know so i think number one once i'd heard jacko and once i'd realized like how powerful that was number one i learned every note i could find on every record and played it exactly with the album and then i haven't listened to it since i realized it was so powerful and i heard so many other bass players that were so close to that i was like oh i don't want to be I don't want to be that person. You know, I don't want to be Jacko and I don't want to be the person who copies him. And in getting away from Jacko and not yet getting to Jameson, there was like a period of like not yet getting to the masters of the Carol Kays, the Michelle and Degas cellos of, of the bass. There was that little period of, of hearing melody. And I was always a fan of pop music and I'm, I'm a horrible singer, but I'm like singing in the shower. Like I like melodies. I love Sting, like you, like you've, like you've so rightly said. And there was that little period that pushed me more on the melodic side initially than the bass side. And I think that was hugely kind of pivotal moment for me in terms of what I ended up uh, loving and having a passion for checking out and transcribing. This right here that I'm working on is a Lenny Tristano piano solo, mm. for instance. It's totally out. You know, it's not going to get me any gigs as a bass player. <laughs> no. um, but it's also like I, I know very few people who are sort of willing to do that kind of work and this is not like like i'm better than you or anything it's just different it's like i I really want to be very clear about that it's not some elitist Mm. ideal it's like it's it's just different and i i I don't think people understand the amount of repetition you have to go through in the transcribing especially in the listening to be a soloist or to be able to improvise melody that freely now, I think it's that freedom I've always loved and and strived for, and and maybe that the, maybe that is the reason I'm able to do it um, as fluidly as I can. And I'm not even on the spectrum yet. I, I wish I could do it way better. So I'm glad it comes across yeah. as being you know something worth listening to, and just know it's something I'm always kind of constantly working well, on. Well, you with the um, avoiding Jacko thing, which I think I think he's. Fairly obvious. I was actually going to say that just before you mentioned it because you're not oh. <coughs> like Jacko. It's like so no. 
you know, there's so many bass plays that you listen to and you can hear Jacko, you know, from the harmonics to, 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 the, to the phrasing, to, to just the soloing phrasing, the pentatonics, all of that bit. Well, listen to Richard, you know, the sound, like the sound, like, don't get me wrong, Richard Bona is all universe level musician, but the bass playing is so close to Jacko, I see that as like 2% of the value of Richard's thing and the 98% of the value in what Richard does is the singing yeah. and the writing and the music and all this other originality yeah. and vibe that he brings to it. But yes, massive, sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, massive kind of Jacko influence and that is not unique to him. There are a lot of people that yeah, sound Yeah, yeah, like and that. there's amazing players, obviously, but the... Yeah. But it's really obvious with you from your tone through to everything and I think definitely with the phrasing. And But also... I've got a feeling that you've probably avoided transcribing, transcribing some of the soloists that a lot of people stereotypically do. Because every time you talk about the guys that you're transcribing, like you said there, Lenny Tristano, there's, there's like a bunch of guys that you transcribe, whereas there's so many people that go, I'm going to transcribe bird solos. That, and that's it. It's yep. like they're straight to Charlie Parker, they're straight, and, and then... You know, and they they'll move a little. It's a it's a, it's kind of the cliche in the same way that if somebody says they're going to learn classical music, then they'll learn Bach. You know, but it sounds yeah. like you've even like you've not even delved. In, I know you've probably done a fair bit of Charlie Parker, but but you don't sound like stereotypical Charlie Parker kind of bebop lineage. Sure. Well, I think that uh, like Bach in classical music, Charlie Parker is a massive part of the history of of our our yeah. music not not out not it's not my music it's the music i am you know i am linked to and is a part of my my listening uh, upbringing so to speak but um yeah i mean i was i probably have a book with 30 charlie parker solos in it in here somewhere i couldn't actually tell you where it is because it's like been that long you know that was like 20 something years ago that was the first stuff i transcribed that was some of the stuff i, I you know lawrence did i asked him like what did you transcribe and he said oh i transcribed some of this and this and this he did give me pointers of stuff he had done um so yeah i was transcribing charlie parker early on dizzy gillespie um bud powell like all the bebop guys but i also some I don't know how actually uh, maybe it's just curiosity I've always been quite um I don't think proud that sounds egotistical but I've always been happy let's say that my curiosity has always pushed me like through the next mm. uh barrier you know what I mean and I never got uh, I, I hate being comfortable like two things I love to work I love to work super hard and I hate being comfortable mm. uh this is my wife thinks I'm totally nuts as a result. You know what I mean? It's not conducive sometimes with a happy household because <laughs> I'm just like, I'm buried in this shit sometimes, you know? But I, I love those two things. I've always just pushed through like, well, what's next? To me, there always has to be the next thing, mm -hmm. you know? And if if I can't find the next thing, maybe I've, I've put 1% of equity in my own bank of trying to be the next thing. You know what I mean? I'm always trying to find bankable equity to be like, okay, what what can I do that's that I don't hear? You know, or how can I take these three components that are like this and put them like this and like this, or uh, you know, completely mess with them and make them make them a little different and, and unique. So, yeah, and I think also I got lucky in terms of when I did what I did. I mean, I don't know because I didn't do it any other way, but from my experience, I know that when I went to the Royal Academy of Music in London, for instance, I was around a couple of key people that 
opened my ears and eyes to like one person had been in the US already and had like all these like kind of rare kind of unknown ish crisscross recordings and fresh sound new talent and these small emerging jazz labels that had at the time relatively unknown people on them people that are household names like Chris Potter yeah. and people like that that are super household names now but like you know hipping me to a Red Rodney album that Chris Potter played on when he was super young for instance and just being like you know holy mm. shit like this is you know so having that then going to Berkeley and being really good friends and still to this day with uh the tennis saxophone player Walter Smith who at, in his dorm had this huge steel chest of CDs that was basically my private library. He would just give me stuff like, oh, you should check out John Gordon and you should check out this new Kenny Garrett record, all this stuff. So, and my roommate was Sebastian de Chrome, who was Jamie Collum's yeah. drummer with Jeff Gascoigne back in the day, now lives in the UK. And he is the encyclopedia of the history of jazz. He would come in my bedroom at night, like three in the morning, slap a record on and say, who's the tenor player? And I'd be like, oh, it's Joe Henderson. Uh, who's the bass player? Oh, that's Leroy Vinegar. He would do like blindfold <laughs> test at three in the morning in the most extreme, like military style boot camp conditions. And I loved him for it. Like this was the, like Berkeley wasn't the actual lessons of Berkeley was some of the dumbest shit I've ever been a part of. And a two and a five and a one. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> but the community and the network was was gold. Like it was, that was depleted uranium. It was multi-platinum. It was just the, the greatest thing ever to be around those people. So I can't even remember how we got onto this. Oh, transcribing, yeah. right? But just being, okay, I'll wrap it up. Being fortunate to be around some people who really had their shit together way more than I did and exposed me to what I consider like for me anyway, the right things, the things that piqued my curiosity at the right time to push me even further. Like Lionel Lueke, for instance, we were there at the school together, like all these amazing musicians, Lionel's from Benin. So suddenly I'm exposed to all this African, West African stuff. And my friend Fenence Nemeth from Hungary, you know, and like oh, just unbelievable melting pot of, of styles and of sounds that just kept my curiosity fully loaded, you know, and I, I didn't want to sound like the next bass player. I didn't want to sound like all the people who sound just like Marcus Miller or just like Victor Wooten or just like Stanley Clark, you know, three heroes of mine, three originators, three innovators. But let's leave it with them. You know, I don't want the million other people that copy Vic, you know, sort of note for note, you know. It's, uh, well, I don't want yeah. a lot of people that are watching this that have never seen you before. Not that there'll be that many of them, but I don't want them to all just think that you're just some like bebop soloist for anybody out there that's not seen yannick um i'd advise them to go watch to look up on youtube some of the duets uh -oh. of uh, him playing with uh, jojo mayer because sure, it's sure. so far removed from the from the jazz improv <laughs> ties into what I wanted to ask you about time because you always talk about tone and time. It's like your big thing. Yeah, yeah. time and sound. Yeah, yeah yep. and sound. And effects are obviously quite a big part of that. I mean, I know that obviously your hands do most of it, but um, right. you do use effects a hell of a lot with that stuff. And yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how do you get... Because some of these sounds that you get, I know that there's people that use sounds a lot 
like the Steve Lawsons of this world that will really that, that are like uh, alchemists, you know, where they'll create these crazy sure. soundscapes and things. But you've got these sure. real usable kind of like with all the bit crushes that you use and and the yeah. and some of that stuff. How do you do? You just put these things together and see what works. Well, there's some there's some method to right. it, but like all my kind of pedal nerd friends, like I'm sure you know the channel Pedals and Effects, Juan Alderete. Yeah great bass player, really good friend of mine. Um, and then of course, you know, Tim LaFave, my great friend and, you know, collaborator on a ton of my records, John Davis, yeah. for instance, you know, we're, we're all the pedal nerd gang. And I think, jo I think John probably not knows the most, right. like technically out of all of us, because he's a, he's a ridiculous studio engineer. He understands sonic range and he understands what pedals actually do. I think probably, Tim is like second on that list, uh, but he's m definitely moving more into the weirdness right. category. And then, and then Juan, I'm not even putting myself on that list. And then Juan is like super weird. Yeah. And I'm more towards Juan's concept of like getting a pedal, turning it on, turning everything up to yeah. 11 and seeing what happens. You know, of course we all employ some of those like similar gain structure and signal path, um, the rules or ideas, you know, you kind of like compression and preamp up front and some octave and then fuzz and modulation, reverb delays, looper, that kind of basic pattern. But then, you know, I like putting a delay into a fuzz pedal, for, for instance, you know, like the, I, I, you know, and let me see if I can uh, move the camera around just a little bit and you'll see this bad boy right here, the Helix rack. So I'm also doing like stuff digitally and now I'm with a, pre, a couple of preamps and so I'm just always experimenting with that stuff. You know, it's like there's sort of nothing that's off limits. Um, I, I'm, in a, I'm in a unbelievably fortunate position now, especially with the Pedal Studio series on YouTube that people are sending me a bunch of stuff. So I do get to try some crazy things. I would otherwise be completely out. They would be out of my budget, yeah. you know, because that stuff gets a little bonkers after a while. <laughs> but it, it's also amazing to me that, like, I could go do JoJo's gig with this like uh, let me unplug this with this like bb bass preamp mm. and an oc2 yeah like i could totally do the jojo mayer nerve gig with those two pedals no problem so it, it doesn't have to be baller and bombastic and in general i'm just a big fan of experimentation uh, especially recently i have this year with 20 for anyone watching this way in the future it's 2021 uh, we're recording this first of march and i'm putting out a single a month this year and a lot of that is i'm at home i'm on my own i don't have other musicians a lot of that is based around sound design with pedals you know um and i have the time to do that right now like we have yeah. this amazing amount of time like i talked earlier about it being like kind of psychologically a little bit of a, a little bit of a head fuck but at the same time we're, we're afforded this experimentation period um that perhaps we will never get again in our lives yeah. you know which is which is pretty crazy so that's yeah that's where i'm at with the time and sound with the pedals but it's the input to the pedal and knowing how to how to push a pedal and whether your bass is impassive or active and the the touch you use when you mm. have an envelope filter and how you have the threshold and the attack set and like all these little details of which like if any super Gwizdala nerd out there go back 15 years my standard go-to quote was like i'm not a gear guy <laughs> This is what I always used to say. I said, I know nothing about it. I'm not a gear guy. Sorry, I'm the wrong guy. Go and ask someone else about pickups and pedals. Here we are 15 years later. I'm like taking these things apart and like changing, you know, like, ah, 
you know, I wish I, I was slightly more technically minded so I could build pedals. I'd love to have my own pedal happening, for instance. So it's been a big shift. And again, it's a fascination and curiosity thing. And I like, you know, I like Brian Eno. I like John Hassel, Niels Peter Molver, Ave Henriksen, uh, uh, Matthias Eich, like uh, Phil Dizak, who played on my last mm, yeah. uh, album, Trumpet Player. I like a lot of these trumpet players and, and a lot of experimental music. And I, I can't get that just with, you know, just with playing. Yeah, yeah. That's not really going to happen. You know, I, I need some stereo reverbs and some fuzzes and some programmability. So it's kind of, again, out of necessity and curiosity, my two favorite words, in order to make new music. Yeah. You know, you, you said earlier on, I'm not like the bebop guy, right? Like, I don't just rip bebop mm. solos. And if you look at my discography, there are kind of important parts like it only happens once for instance a record we did in 2012 like you said playing with jojo so jojo's on half that yeah. record that was a, a big departure sonically from live at the 55 bar for instance or mystery to me or some of the more yeah. kind of standard records i made so it's always been important to experiment and try and be try and be different with that it's stuff. worth mentioning your albums as well because uh, I, that was one of the first um times i heard you I, I can't remember how i ended up with it but it was one of your earlier albums and uh, like you've got quite a few albums out now. I mean, there's there's quite a few, thirteen. I think. Yeah, and yeah, you've I've seen you document a little bit about how your writing, what you do with your writing process, and it's very much sure. bass orientated. A lot of it, isn't it? Because you actually do a lot of you. You'll sometimes do the chordal thing, and then you'll develop the harmony, yeah. and then do the the melody over top. But do you want to talk about that a little? Yeah, I mean. Well, it's so different, right? So the, the album I just mentioned um, uh, is was completely improvised, for instance. You know, there was like um, no, there was nothing, no preconceived idea, I don't think, on any of that. And we recorded for two, I guess the only, the, the, the idea was that we had done a show with two drums, with Mark Juliana and with Jojo Mayer, plus Osnoy and John Ellis. And the idea was to kind of record that way with two mm. drums in the studio. And then scheduling conflict, Jojo could make one day and Mark could make mm. the other. And I had to do one and one. So that was really the only concept behind that. But then you go into like the union, which we just did. And that was very much like, I spoke to Pat, Pat, John Patitucci produced it. And I spoke to John ahead of time and we like set the day and we set the band. And then I had, then I knew who I was writing for. So then it wasn't really a question of like melody, groove harmony yeah. like that combination it was just like i i hear this sound and that's what i'm gonna write for um so i think for the most part it's been like that like my first album mystery to me was all the music was written for michael brecker to be on the album but that's when he got really sick and he couldn't do the couldn't do the recording so it, it was ended up being mark turner so i actually had to rewrite most of the music because they're such different musicians so i'm more thinking about the musician that's going right. to play it than i am the actual notes i think that's the biggest mm -hmm. overwhelming concept yeah. regardless of how dense the composition is or how you know whether it's mm. completely improvised did an album in uh sweden with a german guitar player and a swedish drummer uh, morgan agron and alex gunya called snow guard about six or seven years ago and that was completely improvised but totally different from it only happens once yeah you know, like just such different sonic landscapes and, but conceptually there was a concept mm. there. You know, we had a, an ensemble, a sonic concept with which to compose in real time with. So yeah, it's, it's ever changing. Um, 
what's happening right now with La Gerencia. It was the first single that came out last month. I have a new single coming out uh, this week, I think, which is just being mixed. And you're going to hear, like, it's, again, different. You know, it's me. Like, you can hear melody and sensibilities of what I've been working on for the past 25 years, but it's it's very different. You know, I'm not such... We had this great discussion last night, did a little Instagram Live, and I, w I asked the audience, like, can you make a list of... You def I said, you definitely can't make 50 bass players, right, that are all universe. Can you make 40? I don't think so. 30. 30 is a real challenge. Yeah. To come up with 30 bass players who are artists, who write, who, who have output, proof of concept, who have done something new and original. I didn't put myself on that list at all, but like, you know, John Patitucci, Gary Willis, like that real le mm. next level legend. And what when I put my little list together, what they all had in common was like a great compositional concept that had evolved mm. and they hadn't, they hadn't just made the same record over and over and over and over again, which a lot of people do, you know, like I love Marcus Miller, but there are a lot of similarities yeah. between his records. You know yeah. what I mean? Even though I put him on that yeah. list, because I think he's such an innovator and a ridiculously great musician that you, there are, you know, and Patatucci, wow, what a range. Mistura Fina or Brazilian stuff, another world, ton of African yeah. stuff. His jazz things are different within each other. It's yeah. I, I think that like everyone gets a little bit bogged down in the minutia of like hey, social media and short form, oh, like yeah, fifteen yeah. to sixty second form of of uh, of of content. And I I think you have to go a little bit longer than that to sort of fulfill a vision or a sound that you hear. Your albums have moods, I, I think. I, I think that each one has its own mood. Um, like they all have their own vibe. I, th I think that's how okay. I describe them. Like I was listening back to them I mean, just it, before this again. And uh, I've, sure. it was the first time I'd properly listened through the union. And I mean, it's beautiful oh. album. I mean, the playing on that is just Thanks. from every the ensemble <laughs> playing in that. It's just, oh, uh, you know. Those guys are a dream to play with, you know. But it's interesting you say that. I take that as a massive compliment because the the pretty much the only thing I'm looking for when I go make an album is the cohesiveness of the moment. Mm. And I'm not trying to spend two years making a record. You know, I don't want to start a record in 2021 and finish it in 2023 when I might have like two kids be living in a different country like anything yeah. could happen like it's not a when it comes out it's not a honest representation of the musical moment yeah. so i'm really a fan of the process being very short you know my first record rehearse wednesday record in one take top to bottom in front of a studio audience on thursday mix friday took saturday off mastered sunday and by monday it went to the press wow. To be to be pressed and i got on a plane to go to europe and a week later the cd showed up in germany for me to sell like i'm i'm a fan of the short yeah. form but I, I yeah i take that as a big compliment the, the cohesiveness because that's always the main concept mm. is the you know is is to have that representation of the moment i know? mean you touched on social media there i was going to ask you about that because uh, one of those hats that i mentioned earlier about you know you've got a lot of different hats one of them is the <laughs> online persona and you uh -huh. know You've got your big channel. It's you've got all the different stuff that you put out there. I mean, it's a, 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 it's like a gold mine for anybody that's wanting to, especially one people that wanting to learn improvisation or, or how to practice. No matter what the style, I mean, it's there's a stuff in there. That's very important. That's very important. Is like forget about the way I yeah, yeah, play. Yeah. I really try and say like it's about you and your process, and everyone is different. Yeah. Everyone's unique. And I try and drill down to as many concepts as I can. So someone goes, oh, that's me. 
Like I want someone to find their identity and be like, oh, I love that. I can, I can, I can totally get on board with that. Concept, well, if you like you know? the base version of David Goggins or something, you've got like, <laughs> it's like you, you watch you like hammering away, <laughs> you know, like, it's like, okay, we've got the, I'm practicing again. And it, like, sometimes I'll sit and watch yeah. your practice sessions. And I'm like, man, and, and I'm like, I feel like a, a loser because I'm actually not, uh, not in a bad way, but like, you know, it makes me think, oh, why am I not practicing? <laughs> you know, and I've got, where's my base? And it, it, it's really inspiring and motivating from that. Like Mr. Motivator, you know, it, it's, you've got that going on. <laughs> And so you've got that, obviously, that's the, you know, that's a part of that, but you've got your Instagram thing going on and, and all that. Sure. Um, but what do you think? I mean, you're probably one of the, the only people that I'm going to talk to on these interviews that's got an opinion on it uh, in the same way that I probably would. Um, what do you think okay. of the modern sort of social media side of all this? Because social media has become such a big, th in everybody's lives, it's become such a big thing. It's become a big thing in all walks of every profession even. And sure. like in music, it's become something. But I have my, even though I'm a part of the, the, you know, if it wasn't for it, I wouldn't be speaking to you right now. And sure. But Likewise. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't, but I, there are elements of it that I'm really wary of being sort of on the inside of it and seeing how people can sure. i don't know i i have a bit of a well, bad take on it at times but i was yeah, wondering what I, you I, thought my, mine is probably no less bad on a lot of levels um and being wary of it is incredibly healthy i think um and also like i think i think it's good to understand uh, there are people who are going to be too young to understand it because they don't remember yeah. and weren't in the middle of it at the time. Maybe they were conscious of it, but how it's changed. Not only has it changed from analog to digital. Mm. Let's let's just talk about that for a second. Like the 90s are no longer, you know, gigs aren't the same. The way you promote your music isn't the same. The way you record your music isn't the same. The barrier to entry is basically non-existent yeah. anymore because everyone can do it in their phone anytime they like um so so that's one big change that let's look at just look at the changes within social media itself i back in the day no um i remember when myspace was the yeah. thing right and that gave me so much optimism and hope because one of the things on that platform was uh, i don't know if you remember this but you had your kind of profile and people would list influences yeah. And they would have a little box with all the things. And that was a searchable option. So I would search out Pat Metheny, Gil Evans, Jacob Pistorius, and I would like add these people as mm. friends. I built like 175,000 yeah. followers on MySpace and booked world tours off the back of it because it was literally communicating with the right people who responded, yes, I approve of your communication. Yeah. And yes, I want to, because I'm interested in what you, it wasn't this kind of mass diluted bullshit of advertising yeah. yet. There wasn't really the algorithm. So that was like a massive change. It started off really optimistic and worthwhile mm. for musicians. And then it is what it is now. Um, <laughs> there are a couple of things to the, well, which we'll get to, of course, I'm not just gonna throw it away, but, and there are a couple of things about this as well. There is also the whole digitization of recorded mm. music, Napster and piracy and all LimeWire and all this bullshit. And the fact that the record labels didn't invest mm. into the future yes. of what is now streaming, they fought yeah. it. 
they saw a perceived revenue loss in the late 90s, early 2000s, and they fought and sued to try and re recoup this money that didn't even fucking exist. They tried to re recoup that and they destroyed themselves. Yeah. And lo and behold, now 20 years later, they're back in the mix, owning all the rights and working with the streaming companies and screwing the musicians yeah, again. I know. Right? So so they've, they've screwed us twice yeah. now. now don't worry, I'm going to get to something that I think I don't understand fully yet, but I think might be a massive solution for this in just mm. a second. Um, but then to your social media point, what it has done is it, it, to how I see it and how I see and hear more importantly, <laughs> that's it. That's it right there. It has meant people listen with their eyes. Yeah. That's it. It's meant people listen with their eyes and their attention span has been diminished so viciously to less than two seconds. Mm. I talked to Adam Neely about this and we were talking about, I don't know if we did it in my interview with him or just on the phone afterwards, but the whole thought of don't put music in the front of an Instagram video because people are still going to press the, still trying to press the screen to turn the volume mm. on. Like you should start the music at two and a, is it two and a half seconds? Should you start it at yeah, two? Yeah. Should you, these are the things people are thinking yeah. about. Like when that's what you're thinking about, the music is now not even secondary. It's, it doesn't even yeah. exist. You have to dress like a clown or a homeless person mm. in order to get get attention. You know, attention is probably the most fundamentally important word for the artist or creator side because yeah. it's just a big competition to get attention. Yeah. You know, you have so many massive channels that that's all they do. And it's all basically diluted down to the same kind of like neo soul guitar lick and or super shred lick, yeah, you know, yeah. pick your lane, whatever it is. It's all bullshit. Yeah. It's got nothing to do with music at all. So I think that is, a, that is an unfortunate side effect of the algorithm of a music. Let's talk about jazz for a second, just because that's yeah. more my passion and what I know about a music that was created by radical people for radical mm. people has now become something that is created by conservative people for conservative people and all controlled by essentially an advertising company, like, totally, whether it's Google or yeah. Facebook. That's it. You, you, you know, like, there's that old thing of like, if, if you're, um, if you're not paying for it, then you are the product like that sentiment, like Facebook isn't the product yeah, we yeah. are. You know what I mean? I don't think people get that. I think people still see it as a tool but they're really being fooled into destroying whatever creative sort of output was left. Now, I did say I thought I had maybe a solution for that. Um, and I don't know enough about it. I'm even hesitant to, to talk about it in an interview, but I'm so passionate about it. It's NFTs, non-fungible tokens, We're talking about blockchain and like modern technology, yeah. essentially, and smart contracts and being able to write your royalty structure and trading and resale of a digital item, i.e. a recording, a picture of something you painted. So something digital holds value in the long term. Now, like I said, I'm like a few weeks into the research of this. I don't know enough about it, but it does seem like the technology is heading in that direction. And you can mint things, digital things, and write your parameters into the smart contract. So it's there forever and kind of buy. Of course, you have to have an audience. Yeah. And, and, and the platform and the way an audience is going to use that and buy that has to be so simple that it's like Spotify or iTunes or Amazon, yeah. you know, like, so I think that would be the big hurdle, but maybe there is a little hope, but social media. Yeah. Oh man. 
I use it. You use it. We all use it. You know what I mean? It's a big component of our <laughs> of our advertising, yeah. for want of a better word. You know what I mean? Like I sell books as a result of putting content on YouTube. I don't put content on YouTube to sell yeah. books. And I think that is probably the difference between a lot of people is that they are trying to game the system. You know, that's their, that's their focus. That's their primary objective. I'm doing it because I, I, I love what I do and I like to share that. And if, if I make some money out of selling books as a byproduct, awesome. You know, I'll run ads if I want to sell books. You know what I mean? As we all can. We can run ads on Facebook and Instagram. But the actual content creation, I think you've got to be honest about where it's coming from. You know, I think, and I think maybe honesty gets, yeah, honesty and originality really get pushed to the side. And the barrier to entry is yeah. zero now. Yeah. How many times do, do you get something in your feed that you're like, this person cannot play music? They literally can't put their fingers yeah. in the right place to play the Stevie Wonder baseline. Yeah. And there they are with a million followers. Yeah. And you're like, what? I know. And, and the know? awful thing that I found recently is that because, I mean, me you uh, like a bunch of people that are that are in this with all the online thing that might have run ads and all that you kind of get to see behind the curtain so you know like there's all the uh, the social dilemma came out recently on netflix that talks about this and but i've been talking about that for the past like quite a few years now because you yeah you, i've seen it happening where uh, you get this with every every part of the internet, conspiracy theories. I mean, we see it in politics, we see it in everything. And you get, right. because anybody can have a platform, anybody, even a schmuck like me, you know, you can, anybody can go on there, right? So yep. now some people might be, you know, it might be good information, but then there's gonna, anybody can sure. be a guru figure. Anybody can go out there, they can start <laughs> up something and then people yep. listen. And the problem with it is that, the algorithm, well, it's not even just the algorithm. Well, it is, it is algorithmic, but the, the fact that it's going to feed you more of what you like is, it's just right. this echo chamber. And, and I think it, for yeah. musicians, especially, it's quite dangerous. Um, if you're trying to learn, if you're like a student of the, of music and you're, yeah. you're looking at one particular thing and, and then you're only seeing that you're not getting every side, you're not getting the, the different sides of the story, exactly. you know. And it's it has diluted the education in general of the audience, yeah. like regardless of whether you're a, like a bass student and you want to learn or a violin student, you want to learn something. Um, it's diluted the sensibilities, like the just the taste factor and the, the, the knowledge like there are. I mean, there are hugely successful artists and bands right now that we all know that all come up in our feed every day that are a diluted version of what something that happened 40 <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> years ago and and the audience don't know any better yeah. because all they get is smashed over the head with band x yeah. and they don't hear weather report and headhunters and 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 yeah. and you know the, the shit that actually started yeah. it you know so the the the, the audience like i don't want to offend anyone because i know that <laughs> there are obviously exceptions to that rule and a lot of those people thankfully come to my shows and i get to meet them and talk to them and they interact with me online so i know that's not a hundred percent but the reason some of these people have millions of followers and massive careers without actually doing anything original is exactly what you're talking about being hit over the head 
by the algorithm. And it, it really, like I look at the classical world uh, for comparison. And somebody brought this up yesterday saying that, well, there are still like goons in the classical world that play like this diamond studded violin, like two set violin, the channel. I don't know if you know yeah. those guys. Yeah, so they kind of expose some of these people yeah. like uh, Sacrilegious Boy with the Flight of the Bumblebee, that whole meme yeah. thing. But it's true. There are some people like that who have like fake bullshit and they have a big career. Yeah. But for the most part, if you want to be even considered for the audition for the LSO or the Cleveland Symphony or the LA Phil, to be considered for the audition, to even get in the room with a hundred other people for the one place, you have to your hands have to have bled at yeah. some point you work so hard um this is not i'm not i'm not making this is not like over, no it's not exaggerating at all no, no no not exaggerating at all this is like literally you have to be in the practice room 10 hours a day and you know this from age like okay maybe you have crazy parents and it's like two years old you get into it but maybe not maybe you're like eight or nine you're like oh i love the violin I'm, you know it from the age of 10 like oh if i want to do this i have th this is the path the path is completely defined yeah. there's one map the barrier barrier to entry is all the way up here and in what we do in our world in jazz and pop and commercial music and being a side man or woman there's no barrier to entry yeah. it's just like oh you look good yeah come and come and do the gig yeah. that's it you you own a base oh you got you got the gig <laughs> like it's literally yeah. like that and you're like are you are you kidding me if we applied the same work ethic and passion that like some of those and concepts that some of those classical musicians did we'd have a resurgence of original music and an audience who was just like spoilt for choice of like, holy shit, I'm almost mm. overwhelmed here. There's so much good stuff going on. But it's kind of mediocre what's happening right now. I hate to be like grumpy old man here because yeah, I'm but... now in my 40s. Yeah. But it's, an, it's a weird place to have come from the analog through the transition and fully into the digital and now be in a place where there are so few people from where I started that nobody really cares. Yeah. You know, like oh, they this—they don't understand even. They're like, "What are you talking about? You—you you went to—you went to live shows, and that was mainly how you learned. Like, what do you mean? Yeah. It's all on YouTube. Like, that's—that's that's the argument yeah. now, which is, is crazy. What's a CD? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bro, what's a CD? Like, I don't have a CD player in the house. Like that kind of thing. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, I—I'm I, kind of optimistic in some ways. I think that. Things might, it, you know, everything goes through ch uh, through phases and changes. Everything's yes. cyclic and stuff. I, I think that there will probably, I mean, maybe even COVID might even bring about some resurgence in something. Who knows? You know, because it might be like, you know, post World War Two when there was a bit of a, an, you know, in the fifties when everybody's yeah. like getting a bit of a buzz on. Absolutely, you know? it might be kind of like that. But I mean, I, I, by the same token, like with not just YouTube but social media, you see a lot of. There are a lot of brilliant people. I mean, for all the the, yes. the sort of you know, like the the sort of also rans that are in there, but you've got yeah. you've got people like Jacob Collier coming through, you know, that and all these people like and the people like Adam Neely actually that 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 are doing a lot of things in the, the trying to trying to shed light on other areas of things that you might not normally get sure. and. I, I don't know. I, I like to try and be optimistic with it because I'm so cynical when it comes to it on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. But yeah. I, I'm trying to be as optimistic as I can. And as am I. I mean, uh, my, my whole like diatribe of like everything sucks aside, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm definitely, you know, I'm definitely positive on it, you know, because I think there is, there's a space for the top. There is a space for the top end still. Mm. Um, I think it's maybe... 
I think it's the, it's not harder or less, it's not harder or easier to get there in terms of the work you have to do to be uh, honest about your ability and to operate in that, in that space at that altitude. Maybe it's a little bit more difficult now than it was to cut through the noise, the, the general noise of, of social media and that kind of stuff. But I am, you know, I'm definitely optimistic that there is still a space there. Um, and an audience, maybe not as big as they were 20, 30 years ago, but there's still definitely an audience there. I experience that audience when I go and play what I consider to be fulfilling and very honest music. I, I do experience that the audience who is very turned on. You know, I, I'm making some generalizations mm. there before for the masses, but that of course, great audiences still exist. The videos I'm uploading from the last Bob Reynolds tour last year are testament yeah. to that. Like they, I, and I'm getting comments from people. Oh yeah, I was at that show and that was awesome. And like people, they they do get it. It may not be on a mass adoption like it used to be in the '70s, where you'd have, you know, five thousand people at a Weather Report concert, for instance. But I think it is there. I also think that yes, I 100% agree with you that COVID is going to change a lot. We might get some roaring 30s kind of stuff, mm. like even like post depression world, yeah. post World War One era, not yeah, even the yeah. 50s, but and a resurgence and and clubs being the clubs that make it through this and venues being packed again. I would I think the hunger for live music is definitely there, which is amazingly positive. And then I think there are also going to be a lot of changes in terms of how, especially I see it through my filter, being an artist and wanting to tour as a band leader, how that whole uh, system works. And I think that there's going to be a lot more private hire. Like if I want to play in Prague, I'm going to say, okay, uh, I'm paying for this room for the night. Mm. No middleman, no booking agent, no nothing. I'm, I'm taking the full risk. I'm hiring the room, I'm hiring the PA, I'm selling the tickets, and I'm also taking 100% of the profit to pay my musicians, mm. you know what I mean? So I think there might be that kind of thing coming, a little bit at least, um, which might open up a few more doors for people who truly believe in what they yeah. do. And also put the put the responsibility on the shoulders of the artist to create something that does generate an audience that they can communicate with, and not, control's not the right word, but, um, you know, have have a have a uh, a dialogue with yeah. and and make touring happen and make shows happen and have have some sort of live music career. I, I'm very optimistic. Of course, that's about the upside that. to social media in that you have this one on one kind of um, dialogue yeah. with with the with the yeah. audience and also um, you know it you do get exposure with things that you might not ordinarily get as well and and people sometimes yeah. I think. Audiences in general, as much as it's easy to think that they kind of get dumbed down, I think it's it's more that the actual social media is at fault rather than the actual people because you end up being... Yeah. I, th I always like looking at the recent Queen film as being an example of this. Like, Because Queen were kind of, like, you know, obviously they were massive, but then there's a lot of people in this new generation that... that quite obviously hadn't even heard of them because right. the thing went nuts. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. everybody knows about the whole story. You know what you're talking about? But yeah. like all of a sudden yeah. people are like, oh, have you heard this band Queen? You know, and it, and it did so well. And, yeah. you know, I, th I think that might, given the correct or the just the right people, the, the right influencers, um, I hate mm -hmm. that bloody word, but like, yeah. you know, but yeah, I know. It, it, the influencers actually bringing certain things into the limelight that it might 
get people interested in stuff that they might not you know Zappa talks about this For all sure. the time it, well, well did uh, back in the 60s yeah. and that about how um, you know back in the 60s obviously you know people took a chance more with the actual record companies and stuff and yeah. and you know things were a lot more eclectic and, and a lot more experimental and then you know kind of goes the other way and you never know we yeah. might be in that kind of zone I hope so. And it's interesting when you talk about like the Queen movie and sort of the archival element of bringing that stuff documentary style forward and saying, hey, do you realize who Bill Evans yeah. was? You know, like I love piano player X, Y and Z from 2015, 18 yeah. and 2020. But do you remember who Bill Evans was, for instance, or Weather Report? Um, yeah, for sure. And I, I also think maybe I'm just being nostalgic and old and uh, not grumpy, but nostalgic and old perhaps in the, I quite liked the fact that there was a record label. So I don't like the way that they operated, but just the process of an a, like somebody going out and finding yeah. talent. There was a gatekeeper. I'm not, a, I'm, I'm on the fence about whether gatekeepers are good or not, but what social media has shown is that there are a bunch of bullshit artists, <laughs> you know, just total vapid, just wasting my time every time I open up one of those apps, kind of yeah. just bullshitters, complete charlatans. And there was something about like uh, somebody from a label going like, wow, that's, I like this chick career guy. Let's give him a yeah. chance. I agree with you hundred percent that like they took more chances back yeah. then. Like what you said, Zappa was saying, but I do like the fact, I don't like the fact that they would sign a bunch of artists and then put them on the shelf and do nothing with them. There are so many yeah. shit things about the record industry. Take most of the money for a shitty Obviously, little advance. Yeah. Okay, okay. We all know that, but just the concept of like, I think ECM does a really good job of that in the jazz world now. They're very discerning about like, oh, you know what? This guy, I love Shy Maestro. That's one of my favorite new artists and his new album, Human, with Phil Dizak and the guys, man, it's unbelievable and the care and attention to detail that they take i think that's totally lost you know because people are like making videos with their phones and recording with with these shitty little digital devices and manfred Eicher is going to like the, uh, a theater and like hanging microphones and uh, like you know oh we're going to turn the piano this way because it reflects off that balcony better like where's the nuance there yeah, you go yeah, that's yeah. the word i've been waiting to fight nuance is social media obliterated nuance because yeah. you have to impress in the first two seconds or you don't survive yeah. you don't beat the algorithm yeah so nuance is gone and that's really sad because nuance is also i think the hardest thing to attain as a musician yeah. you know or as an aesthetic as an artist as a composer as any of that you know like well that goes back to what i was tough. saying about your um improvisation really because it was the, it's the the nuance in there uh that 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 makes it so melodic you know that you know i said about the melodicist thing sure it's, it's the nuance yeah. in there and like um like you were saying about with the transcriptions like if i'm going to transcribe one of your um solos there's going to be a lot of stuff that would you can put it down. I mean, you know this with the transcription, you know, with the books and stuff that you right. You can put the dots down. You can, you know, what those notes yeah. are. You put them down, but that doesn't tell the story at all. <laughs> exactly, and that's something I've been talking about a lot recently. I took like a little bit of a different direction with my YouTube and with my Instagram recently. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go. Not that I ever think I was trying to bullshit anyone, but I'm gonna go really zero bullshit i started scripting things for the first time got a teleprompter like i'm gonna go super focused one subject 10 minutes boom 
And that is, I've been talking a lot about, trans, I've been posting transcriptions that I'm working on to Instagram lately and talking a lot about that in the comments and in conversations I'm having with people, but it is exactly that. Like people say, well, should you write it down? I'm like, well, yeah, you should write it down because in 20 years time, you could be re-inspired by it. You know what I mean? I think that's really important. And then the next question is, well, how accurate? Cause my, you know, my notation's not so great. How accurate? I said, man, it's a it's a shorthand. I've basically created my own shorthand because exactly what you're saying. It's all in the nuance, yeah. you know. Like you, the dots don't tell the the story the way Pat Metheny lays back on four eighth notes. You can't notate I mean, that. You'd have to, you, you, uh, you know, because you could go to Steve Viru using nested tuplets and everything to try and do your transcriptions. But there's like it's not that's not what it is. And, right, and then you're thinking about nested tuplets when you're reading it, and that's not what you want to exactly. be thinking about. You know. It's like, and, and also the thing of the way you get, I, I believe anyway, the way you get to that point of having nuance and the ability, like it's hard to demonstrate without the instrument, but the ability between this and this and this and th like the, the micro movements you can make with your fingers to create this massive range of sound. I think the way you get there is, is not from memory. Like Chikoria talks about this. I, I heard him talking about this a while ago, saying that you, you don't like using your memory is like sight reading. So you can sight read a piece in the moment, like a piece of music and blah, 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 blah. And then you can put the music away and, and, and use your memory to sort of re-read it in your mind because you have this picture. Yeah. Right? You have this like theoretical and analytical like an picture of what this thing. was. Yeah. Well, no, no, but the, the abstract thing is like, but what he was saying is like, you've got to do it enough. You've got to play these notes enough so you know it. Yeah. It's, it's the difference between memorization and knowing. And I think nuance is knowing, like, and, and those details are knowing. It's the repetition. Like, I, okay, I post the little videos and I post pictures of this stuff and I make videos for YouTube. And I have a thing called the Transcription Vault at Yannick Space Studio where I do a, you know, really break it down, analyze it. What I don't have, what I don't give, maybe I should, this would be kind of boring for some people, I guess, but what I don't give people access to is the 17 hours that I play this for you know, over three days, yeah. like, oh, I, I might play this solo for six hours a day for a week, for a month. Like that's the repetition on, on the path to knowing rather than memorizing. So pe some people are like, well, improvisation is just a series of licks. Well, licks kind of mean that you think, oh, that's lick number 453 and I can play it over these five chords. So oh, oh, now's the time, you know, I'll play it here. It's not. We know speech, like I yeah, talked yeah. about before. Like we haven't thought about any of that. We just know it. It's instinctive. And I'm, I'm, I, I wish I knew, but I still don't know why people have that disconnect with music. Um, and and it, it sounds like such a cliche that oh, music's just another language. But holy shit, it is. And it only has twelve notes, not twenty six letters. And it only has like certain number of chord qualities, etc. It's, it's like not as complex as English, for instance. Not even anywhere near the nuances, but like the dialect and the accent. And I'm getting close to figuring that out. And I think a lot of it is the fact that we institutionalize the learning process. And people started making a lot of money from it, like on a university level. Like I'm not talking about like you know, come to you for a lesson or come to me for a lesson or be on one of our sites or something or a YouTube video. I'm talking about like $70,000 a year to go to Berkeley type institutionalized level. And you have to have a curriculum and you have to put thoughts in people's heads. And I always have like the chain, the link, the chain. And I say, musical idea, performance. 
And if those two are the only links in the chain, that, that, that's it. There's, there's nothing between them. But as soon as you put another link, theory, another yeah, link, yeah. analysis, another link, you, like, the more thoughts in the middle of the two things, the more kind of disconnected the performance is. So yeah. I don't know. The thoughts on those roll on every day. <laughs> well, what you just said about that with the, the kind of intuitive use of, of um, phrases, well, it's not just phrases, but the, the musical ideas. Um, it's funny, <laughs> this last week I, I did a, a lesson on walking and I've okay. had a lot of people saying nice things about it and the thing that they like about it is exactly what you were just saying because I, it, was just a it was just a lesson on playing over a single chord because a lot of people find gotcha. it difficult to walk over a single chord because they've run out of ideas. Right. Run out of ideas yeah, in two bars. because they're so used to playing <laughs> yeah. bloody two five ones and blues. Right. And then, so I thought, right, okay, well, I'll, I'll use the, the vocabulary sort of analogy. And, yeah. you know, just showing a few phrases, you know, maybe targeting from here to here. There's a, there's a certain element of theory behind it, I guess, uh, in the way that I do it. But the, the point that I was making that seemed to click with people is exactly what you just said, that you don't want it to be a lick or a line or a phrase. It's a phrase. If you put it apart, uh, take it apart, the nuts and bolts of it, obviously, but it's, it yeah. has to be intuitive. It has to be instinctive that you, the, yeah. the, the phrase becomes that you assimilate it and then you, it just comes out of you because it's been absorbed and you just do yeah. it over a long period of time, like you said, with the vocabulary. And I think when yeah. you put it like that, because it's something that you reiterate so many times and it's, and it's had a real, even though I kind of thought like that before I saw you talking about that, it's really made me think about how I describe stuff in that way, because it's, it, it's so bang on the money that because Anybody that's a professional musician or just a musician in general knows that, really. I mean, if you're used to right, playing right, right, walking right. bass lines, you know how they were. If you're used to improvising, you know sure. that these things just come out of you, you know, after all that practice. But it's not sure. said that often. And like you said about um, the institutionalization of this stuff, that yeah. I suppose they have to be able to say, okay, well, you do this step, 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 step you know, to, to get from here to there and it needs to have some kind of criteria so for marking purposes and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. When in fact, it's just learning the language. I, I, can, I can understand like when you need a curriculum for advanced mathematics because there are specific rules, like it certain thing, not everything, of course, there's fluidity and art to mathematics, mm -hmm. but certain things up into a certain level, they just work like this. That's it. These are the rules. Yeah. It's not subjective. It's, that's it. So you need a curriculum and you have to have all of this information together to move to the next thing. Music and arts is not like that. And I don't think there's a curriculum on earth in any institution, at least not that I've seen yet, that caters to the individual curiosity. It's, it's a big ask. Imagine you've got 3,000 students and you have to cater to 3,000 individual curiosities. I mean, if you could do that, it'd be worth the 70 grand a year yeah, to I go. I just don't think you can because it's you, I don't think you yeah. can. And I think mom and dad don't want to send little Timmy off to Berkeley without a curriculum. No. They don't want to, they can't justify spending $70,000 a year. Like what are you qualified in at the end? Well, guess what? You're not qualified in anything. If you do a double major at Berkeley, you are still not qualified to be a musician. Yeah. I know I was there. Yeah. I quit early. I watched all the people that graduated and I know where we're all at now. Like it doesn't mean anything and not once, not a single time. I love this. I love this statistic. I'm a big stats fan. Not once in my entire career have I been asked, can we see a diploma? Yeah, I know. You know what I mean? Like, 
get out of here. I, Maybe if I wanted to take a teaching gig, then there are certain rules about that. But ah, come you on. know, I I it's, didn't dare tell people after after I'd graduated. Um, that was at Leeds, honestly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you do, like, keep it a secret. <laughs> people would take the piss. I I, I ended up um, there was a, a, a one of the gigs I was doing. There was a lot of old timers on this gig, and um, yeah. and I was, you know, they were like. I, and I was probably, I know it's pretty green, you know, I, you know, you get a lot of old timers that have been playing a long, long time that have been doing all these gigs. The repertoire is like, boom, through the roof, you know, there's yep. the, the kind of bulletproof. And then you start making yep. mistakes here and there. And I think on that gig, they knew that I was a, a graduate of, you know, such and such. And, you know, if you're going to mess up on those gigs and, and yep. those people know that. It's awful. So I just, Not after good. that, yeah. I never let anybody know. It wasn't like I was going to brag about that anyway. I mean, we know that that doesn't mean right. anything. But I just kept quiet. And how, how silly is that? That you can actually do a degree in music and then want to keep quiet about it. For sure, for sure. I also think, like, we should make it very clear. I don't think I've necessarily made it that clear throughout our conversation here where we've been talking a lot at the sharp end of the stick yeah. here we've been talking about a lot of professional situations yeah. a lot of like complex situations i think something else that gets overlooked a little bit and maybe some people watching are like well that's kind of elitist like jazz and you have the improvisation yeah, and yeah. lenny tristano like screw it i think context is like hugely key like don't take me saying that lenny tristano is important to me which is what i've said yeah. I, i've never said it's important to everyone don't take that as being like some elitist bullshit. like you everyone because not everyone like you said is a professional musician and when you said that thing about what well, professional musicians we know how walking baseline works i know yeah, of course I, we I, do. even that but, i hate that <laughs> Right. But but we're we're sort of in the minority in yeah. terms of the audience that's probably watching right now. You know, like some people are like, Yeah, I just want to play yeah. and have fun. I want to be entertained. So there is of course a place for all of that on the internet. I just always say, ask yourself like what your goal is, you know, and be realistic about it and, and be honest with the answer. And then also ask better questions. When somebody asks me a question about music, and I'm not being a dick at all. I normally won't give them an answer, but I will try and help them phrase the question better. And when they phrase the question better, they've more often than not answered it for themselves. Because yeah. the, the, the answer doesn't have to be that complicated. Yeah. It generally isn't that yeah. complicated. Unless you're asking me about some analysis of, you know, Messian or Scriabin or something and what happened in the third trombone part. Okay, yeah, this is a little technical. But generally, the question's about, yeah, it's really not, you know, and, and the building blocks are pretty simple. Like we said, 12 notes in Western music, a finite number of chord qualities, range of instrument. You know, we play the dumbest instrument on planet <laughs> Earth, you know, like, and even mine's, I'm sure you have more than four strings on some bass that you own, but even just take away that, that C string and it's four strings. It's all in parallel. You want to change key, you move your fingers half an inch. It's not the trumpet, no. you know, it's not the saxophone. We don't have to wake up and work on our embouchure no. every morning, you know. So put just context. I think context is really important through everything we've been talking about. I always, I, I, I know this about myself. I get a little too far down the jazz lane and it does. I listen back to some interviews. Ah, oh, shit, that sounds a little bit 
elitist you know and I, that's the last impression i want to give because it's really just about having fun no that's matter why I what you do right them watching you with jojo because it, it's sure. so different to what people might perceive you as um i mean i'm not being presumptuous to think that that's what people are going to perceive you as but like you know it's <laughs> it's like you've said it can be it, you can come across as uh or, or, like we've been talking a lot of it's about jazz and and that and yep. but like a lot of the stuff like through your career, you'll have done so much that's not jazz, you know, so the, the whole of this applies to every style. Well, and the interesting thing is, like, I would say, I mean, now we might be reaching a tipping point, but until like five years ago, most of what I had done was on like a four string Fender yeah. bass that never made it to YouTube. Yeah. Unless I was like, you know, the Dave Letterman shows I was on are on YouTube. Like you can search all that pop stuff, like the commercial stuff that's like out there, out there. But the bulk of my touring career with pop musicians as a musical director, that doesn't make it to YouTube because no. it's not wankity, wankity, no. wankity, wankity, wank for 60 seconds. It's like actually doing the work and playing 300 shows and only sleeping in your own bed 11 nights in a year, like all of those things. You know, the video that I released this morning, I was talking about that even with a jazz thing with a Bob Reynolds tour. I said, I said something along the lines of uh, like playing music like this is not easy. And I don't mean the notes and the songs. I mean everything that surrounds yeah. it. And like that whole part of, of most of uh, the touring musicians I know, that whole part of our career is not highlighted, is not on YouTube. It's not on the highlight yeah. reel because it's not flashy. It's not fun. It's not sexy. It's not impressive. Yeah. It will probably put most people off the idea of being a full-time musician because it's the reality of the work. I forget if it was Scott Henderson or Frank Gambale. I think it might be Frank Gambale, but I'm, I'm not sure. It's one of the guitar players that played in Chick Corea's electric band who said to Chick, you don't pay me to play this music. I'll play this music for free anytime. What you pay me for is all the bullshit of getting on and off the tour yeah. bus every day and taking flights and being on the road. And I think that's, that's reality. So I think you know, 11, 10, 11 years ago, I made the conscious decision to stop touring as a sideman for pop projects and being kind of a mercenary. I did 10 years of it. That was more than enough and uh, decided to like work on my own thing. So I think that's why it comes across a little bit heavier on the jazz and the improvisation yeah. creative side, just because I'm a little bit farther removed from, from that other world. But everything that you that. say about improvisation and keeping a transcription log and all that stuff could just as much apply to uh, transcribing Jameson. You know, I mean, there's plenty of Jameson. Oh, 100%. And, and I have like... You know, I, I transcribe a bunch of Carol Kay on the Beach yeah. Boys and, and Jameson and Duck Dunn and, and all of these guys, you know, Wilton Felder and like all the cats. Um, I would say Michelle and Degicello, like it's, it's interesting how I came to bebop through Mike Stern. Like I heard Mike Stern playing that language with distorted guitar on a fusion record and then went back into history and went to Charlie yeah. Parker and Miles Davis and Dizzy Gillespie with James Jameson and those classic bass players of Carol Kay from the 60s and 70s. I heard Michelle and Degicello kind of bass forward a middle marcus as well but michelle was my biggest influence in that sense and i heard that bass forward funk pocket groove sound time that whole thing i was like oh well this is my jam i love this this really speaks to me so i'm gonna play to these records peace beyond passion and plantation lullabies for thousands of hours did that but then i also went back and of course jameson and i've been loving you like all the otis redding stuff yeah. and just yeah you know i think it's Important to have those moments as well. Well, I don't you want know, to keep like... you too long. We've been talking an hour and 20 minutes already. Oh, good. Hey, man. Yeah, and we could probably do another two hours, but let's maybe do another one. Yeah, I'd love to do another one. In the not-too-distant future. I was... Pick it up anytime. Well, I was going to say, um, 
about I, want, I can't leave without mentioning your books because, as you know, oh. I did a review of one of your, but well, two of your books, all the better, yes. all the good stuff, and all the better stuff. Yeah, that's the second one, isn't it? Appreciate that. Yeah, and thank they, you. They are so good. Uh, like, and I didn't. Do you know what? I went in it pretty cynical because I knew that. I, I kind of knew what it was going to be, but I thought, no, I, I'd seen you practicing it. And I was like, well, if it's good enough for Yannick, it's damn well good enough for me. <laughs> so I downloaded it, and uh, not downloaded it, I bought them, and I started working through them. And I was like, man, it's such a, str- it's such a, a simple concept in the way that you've, you put those things in, but it, it really gives you something to practice. It really gives you material, even though it's stuff that, you know, I could have sat there on my own and thought, okay, well, I'll play this line, or whatever. but it's not, it's sure. that you've got a, a nice set of things, just like the Hannon books and stuff. It's, it's like that. Well, it's, I mean, I appreciate that. Thank you for the compliment. And it's like, especially with, like we, we realize that, and I work on these books with Chelsea, like Chelsea does all the design yeah. and the layout and the copying. I, I do all the concepts and the writing, she does all that. But one thing we've talked about between us is the arc that I think is really important. Like everyone says, are these books for beginners or advanced? And I'm always like, look, if you're a beginner, pages one through five, completely entry yeah. level, you know, like my book, Chordal Harmony is a major scale intense. It doesn't get a lot simpler yeah. than that. And I have, people who are great players still send me messages like, man, I'm still on exercise one. You know what I mean? Like people who are great. So we, we always think about the arc that, and that's something we've like, that's something that I go in with the initial concept of the book. Like these two, especially shameless plug here, but just these are more, more recent ones. Um, we really go in there like, okay, I, uh, first of all, I don't want to alienate people. I want to be all inclusive from the yeah. beginning and not make it like, like you say, Bass Player's Guide to Pentatonics, like, oh, pentatonics. Like, I, I don't want it to be like, there to be any stigma with that or like, oh shit, I got to learn theory or no reading or any of this stuff. It's like, no, it's okay. Like, this is really basic stuff. And you all know, I, I, my whole thing is like, you know more than you give yourself yeah, credit yeah. for. You've listened to enough music and you have the reactive skills. Maybe you don't have the connection with the instrument yet, but instinctively, you know way more than Especially you think you Especially pentatonics, because they're so credit. applicable. A hundred percent. Bass lines, how many pen- yeah. great pentatonic bass lines, both major and minor, yeah. are, are there? And that's and so we go kind of uh, bass line heavy, actually, in the pentatonics books. And we, now we're adding things like play-alongs and there are videos with it and stuff. So it's kind of... You know, it's come a long way in terms of production, but that's always the concept is to kind of be all inclusive, no matter what your level, have a nice arc. And of course, Chelsea makes it look yeah, beautiful and she presents design, yeah. it so well. So I'm, I got super lucky, yeah. you know, like I, I didn't marry her for the book skills, but holy cow, what a <laughs> bonus, bonus, you know, yeah. like but the, so Also lucky. In, in these, uh, the, like, cause I've got the 251 one as well, but um, there's a lot of nice oh, yeah. harmonic concepts as well, because like uh, even little sure. things like the 5-1 cadence and the, the minor key stuff where you've got the diminished run coming down yep. into the tonic. Yeah. Like, stuff like that is like really nice stuff to play and you taking it chromatically or through the cycle or whatever it's um yeah. really really nice lines and i'm also i always preface this stuff by saying like this is this should not be like the pentatonic stuff the 251 stuff should not be your final the, the material in the book shouldn't be your final vocabulary goal it's just a, a, a way to connect the thing you're hearing on the album to your instrument and give you the tools to go and create 
everything that's in this book a hundred times over. I always say like the book is just the beginning. This is my way of finding a solution to a problem and populating my practice routine with it. And it should be that for anyone reading it. You know, like it's just, it's a tool. It's a tool for repetition of a concept. And hopefully that sparks you to go, go forwards and, and, and develop that, you know, it's, yeah. that's the goal. All right then, Yannick, we'll leave it there because we'll just keep going Absolutely. forever. Because yeah, honestly, yeah. <laughs> I've got like a bunch, I've got so many questions and I could just keep going because I, I was thinking well, there, I was thinking, oh, I'll start talking about that. And I thought, no, we'll be talking about it for bloody hours. Well, but that's that's great. I, that happens with interviews I do all the time. A hundred questions, I ask two and it's two hours later. Yeah. So but we can do it again, man, anytime. You know, let's do it six months from now and, and pick it up again. Yeah.